OTP GAA. One of the fathers was mentioning the cows at half six or seven on the, on the, on the Monday morning. They started crying that we we'll just have to win in the county final yesterday. Subscribe to the OTP GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, welcome along. So we'll try and placate a few different perspectives here. Those of you who are with us live a few days out from Christmas, reflections on the weekend's rugby just gone, some thoughts on the festive rugby to come. And for those of you who are deep into Christmas, frantically looking for a podcast to escape family time, we will review the year in so much as we can. Brian O'Driscoll, you're very welcome. Hi, Joe. How are you? Are you liable to be deep into Christmas looking for a podcast to escape family time? Um, quite plausible. Quite plausible. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's never d- difficult in the run up, is it? Because there's excitement around it. But then the aftermath, like when you particularly when you've got kids, what, what, what does one do from 27th? Because you can get to the 27th the 27th till whatever day they go back to school. So um, I, I can't see you here. It's a little disconcerting, but I'm going to take it that you're taking on board everything that I'm saying. Um, yes. But yeah, it is. Um, it's um, it's a fun time, but then sometimes it gets a bit stale. So yeah, podcasts at the ready. Better make this a good one. So Indeed. Did you like it as a player to be out and still having training and a match? Or, or did you want to park all of that and have a good time? Well, we, we used to... Usually we'd we'd have like a good night after the second European game, um, and that was your kind of opportunity to have a blowout. The only problem is a lot of the time, you know, in, in certainly in, in the early years, we'd fall flat on our face in that fourth European game, you know. And sometimes you lost at home to try and then go in your fancy dress party the next day as the team was such a downer. So, um, that was your kind of one opportunity to have a good go. You might you might get another if you weren't going to be playing in the in the um, Stevens Day game, um, you know, you might be able to have a little bit more fun, but more often than not, back when when I was playing, it was it was a big game against Munster, against one of the provinces, and they usually were full bore. So, um, yeah, Christmas was very different than it has been the last seven or eight years. So I enjoyed both. I enjoyed being the entertainment, and I enjoy be- being entertained. And um, and yeah, I, like. At the time, you kind of begrudgingly look at everyone else going, oh, they're having a great time with Christmas. But, you know, you're, you're getting to play for your province too. And um, there, there are some really good games to be involved in too. There's always loads of niggle in them. Yeah, well. for sure. Well, to glance ahead to the festive rugby for a moment then. So week 10, as it's billed in the URC, Friday 23rd is Connacht Ulster. And then Stephen's Day, Munster Leinster, 7.35 is a sellout actually, which is great for Thoman Park and Munster after the last couple of years. You mentioned there that that traditionally, and we are going back a bit now, but that traditionally would have been full bore, all out, mm. let's see who can win. What's your anticipation of how Leinster and Munster approach that one? Because uh, certainly in more recent years, we're seeing lots of juggling for these fixtures. Yeah, there is. And obviously their hands are a little bit tied with internationals, with how many games they're entitled to play over you know, the next six-week period in advance of, of the Six Nations, all, no more so in, in the in the year of a World Cup. They'll definitely be at the behest of Andy Farrell and his coaching ticket as to, as to you know, do you get to play two and a half games or three games, you know, in advance of Six Nations? That's usually the norm. You might get to play, you know, a, a game and a half over Christmas or depending on your age profile, you might only get one. So I, I you know... I think you want because the rivalries rivalry was so great against um Munster, I think you always looked forward to that. And we were on the back foot for many years. Things have changed obviously considerably in on that front. It doesn't feel like the rivalry is quite what it used to be, and that's maybe because there's been a fair bit of Leinster dominance in recent years. But I always used to really look forward to it even though i didn't wasn't vying necessarily against the opposite number 13 and you know for for international honors and and to try and hold on to your jersey it's just an opportunity to to get one over someone that you respect someone that's you know that was you know very high on standards um and so 
yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed the fight that was involved in those, you know, cold conditions, difficult to play in Thomond or, or if you were lucky to be playing back up at home in the RDS. Um, so I always relished um, those games and never felt too hard done by, you know, not being able to have a drink on Christmas Day, knowing that you, you know, you had that the next day. Um, so it's it's a pity. I, I, I would imagine the teams will, you know, they, they won't, they won't be full bore. They'll be kind of half baked. You'll get some internationals in there as you do now. Rarely do do they go all out because you know they're not thinking about ticket sales. Albeit it's brilliant to see that it, that it is sold out. There'll still be you know plenty of quality on show. I just wouldn't anticipate that you're going to see all internationals going against one another um, because we just haven't seen that for a number of years at this stage. Um, so. Yeah, you'll still get and you know good entertainment and you know a very physical game, but you you mightn't get exactly what you're expecting if mm. you're looking for all the you know the big name players to be um, turned out. That's a bit of a theme if we uh, glance back at European rugby. So <coughs> Leinster against Gloucester, uh, much talked about. I, I mean, I not to hark back to the Corinthian spirit, but. If you think about the point of sport, which is your best against our best and let's see who wins, then the Gloucester approach to the game on Friday is professional sport, probably at its most dysfunctional, really. Uh, Gordon Darcy was writing about it in the Irish Times today. So he says, Champions Cup is in danger of becoming a sideshow, is the headline. He talked about how it's fast losing its lustre, it's frayed around the edges, various accommodations made to English and French interests. And what he said of the Gloucester situation, he said, uh, we've entered an unhealthy arrangement where clubs are happy to accept the financial benefit of being involved in Europe, yet unwilling to uphold their part of the bargain, which is to be competitive. So uh, your thoughts on this? Because Gloucester, I mean, would still have every chance of making it out of the the group the way it's all, um, it's all, it it almost incentivized it to an extent. Um, I under, we all understand the logic, but as somebody you know whose whose career a big part of it is this tournament and and the pool stages were such a part of the tournament, it was very grim, isn't it? To, when you when you stop and think about it, that we're here. I I, I do. I, I'm at the risk of bagging a competition that's um, that's broadcast by an employer. I, I still have to be honest and not disingenuous to my role here. I think you know it is in it is at risk of losing um, its impact as the the competition. Um, in European club rugby, um, it, it does feel as though the new setup of it um, has changed the psychology of teams. Um, where you know last year I think seven points got in, which is you know bonus point victory and a couple of losing bonus points. One victory in four games still gets you qualified for the round sixteen, and and it, you know we talked previously is does that suit? It suits lots of teams because. Um, you know, you don't have to go in for everything. You can pick and choose your moments. You, you know, Gloucester obviously saw the writing on the wall, particularly the fact that they have Leicester in the Premiership next week, which are who are one place below them in Welford Road. Um, so they fancied, they thought, you know, are we going to go and get anything against this Leinster team in the RDS? Look at the last seven, eight years. Um, history would lead you to believe it's unlikely. Um, and trying to fight on multiple fronts. So why not send a second string, prepare for Leicester, and for the return fixture in, in King's home in January, we'll put our full our full strength team out there. You know, a second victory will have us qualify for around 16. So put all your eggs into into that basket. Um, alternatively, they could still go down to, to Bordeaux with a strong team and, and pick up points there. And, and so... There's, it's very frustrating when you look at that glass, that um, Gloucester team. When it came out, I was, I was annoyed initially. Um, but it's not. I don't think it's the fault of the teams. I think it's the fault of the structure of how the, the, the makeup of the competition at the moment, where we're trying to get into knockout competition quickly. But is it right that teams that have won one game, you know, should qualify for for Europe uh, for knockout Europe? That doesn't seem. That doesn't seem in line with the history of the competition where in groups of six, you know, you had to win four games. I think once a team won three games and managed to qualify in the 25 year history of that format. So you had to win four and more often than not, four didn't get you a home uh, quarter final. Uh, so you needed five. And and so I, I think 
you know, the, the issue lies with the format and it's losing. It's losing it's losing an element of credibility. It's losing a bit of its um the excitement around it. And and because you're having games like the Gloucester game that was a foregone conclusion before any ball was kicked, that's not the best of European rugby. No. It's not the best pitting themselves against the best. It's nonsense. So it's I'm very frustrated by it. But yes, I'm not going to go and point fingers at George Skivington because he decided to make a decision and, and he probably made the right call if you look at his team. Where are they going to get? You know, looking at what Leinster did against Racing the previous week, were his best Gloucester team going to come to the RDS and get something out of the game? I, I would say no. And so he realised that and, he, you know, bigger fish to fry at different times. So he, he sent, you know, the t- a second string team accordingly to go and get a bit of experience, try and you know, build a bit of pride, get the, get some air miles um, literally on their legs rather than in the plane, and um, and so you know they they had nothing to lose in the game and came away, albeit you know they got thrashed. Um, they you know they put up the best display that they I suppose they possibly could have with the team that was selected. Mm. To uh, segue into review of the year territory. On Leinster, seeing as we've jumped off on that game from Friday night, I was listening to your commentary on BT. It must have been in round one, perhaps. It was against Racing. And you were just making the point mid-play that maybe the last 12 months are close to the best, or very close to the best iteration of Leinster that there has ever been. But because of that loss to La Rochelle, uh, this group won't be remembered in anything close to the light they perhaps should be. No, I agree. I would say I would reinforce all of that. That's exactly my sentiment. That's exactly my feeling. I can't remember as as many commanding victories and you know near complete performances throughout the course of the year and and even in advance of coming into 2022. But then the games against you know a, a, a very very weak um, Montpellier away to Bath, you know very very comprehensive again bat not a good team last year but you know i think they put 50 odd points on them um leicester you know in um in welford road connacht um in uh you know home and away like there was so much good stuff there there were so many really high quality performances up and including toulouse in the semi-final and up until the final i would say the best rugby um, that I have seen from a, from a Leinster team, um, and yet no trophy at the end of it, no trophy in the um, URC, and what it'll it'll just be a what might have been year, and it's such a shame when you think about the quality that we saw over the course of the year. But everything just shows everything is dependent on what you do at the end of the season, whether you lift that trophy or whether you don't, is 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 whether you the memories of your performances are captured or whether they're they're filed away into you know also ran so um yeah it is a great pity for that team's perspective um that they weren't able to raise their game on in the on the biggest stage in the european final and they, they came up against a very well coached um la rochelle team defensively sound but you know they must look back on that one besides the fact that the, the manner in which they lost the game in the last 90 seconds take that aside you know they were they were they just didn't play particularly well they weren't allowed play in that final um and that's what our that's what the residual memories are from from it is just falling at the final hurdle rather than all those amazing games over the course of the year and there were some kind of questionable you know teams that were putting you know the, the, the Montpellier team the Bath team um Leicester a good side, Connacht home and away, you'd expect to beat them. So Toulouse at home. So maybe you could look back and go, well, were they they weren't, you know, you weren't going into the to the depths of France to take on the best of French opposition on their turf. No. But just the consistency of performance, attack and defence, I just thought was so, so good and great on great to watch. As a neutral, you must have thought, wow. I even heard Alan Quinlan say that his brother goes, Wow, Leinster are good to watch, aren't they? <laughs> but we got a bit we got a bit of that this season, you know, already with, with Racing, but we got so much of that last year. So it seems a real, real pity in those players' careers that they weren't able to kind of earmark an exceptional year of rugby with a trophy at the end of it, the, the, the biggest trophy. Mm. 
And I guess it, it, it's right that when we're teasing sport out like this, we have that kind of nuance because it would be just very easy to say, well, look, you can't compare them to the classes of 9, 11, 12, 18. Bottom line, you don't win, then you're, you, you can't be compared. But do you suspect, because um, you played obviously on three of those four wins, do you suspect any of your former teammates, any Leinster players who were there in 9, 11, 12, 18 would fully acknowledge that this version of Leinster, every bit is good? Good question. I, like I've never actually approached it with with Johnny who's obviously who's the obvious person um to mm. to, to speak to. I, I think he has a very, very high opinion of the team in eleven twelve. I thought we were a very, very good side, you know, and you know, the the route that we had to take to the final, you know, particularly Claremont away, getting that done down in Bordeaux, um, you know, the final in two thousand eleven, like that that those those leave positive marks on you that, gosh, we must have been a good side, you know, mentally and physically to be able to deal with what was thrown at us um, and hanging on the way we did, particularly against Claremont in the semi-final before the 12 final against Ulster and then to come back by 16 points down. Like, that's not, that's no small matter. Those two are no small matters. And so... I think that will reinforce his opinion that that they that was a great team and but yeah ultimately those guys all judge themselves on trophies as well and the the weird thing is I think the t- the Leinster team that won in 2018 you know was a was a very very good team but the team that played last year was better than that played better rugby played more was more attractive to to you know on, on the eye uh, defensively more sound you know, harder working, you know, better consistency across the team. So, um, yeah, for me, it, you know, I'd say that one, I've, I've not gone into depth with Johnny, but I'm sure that one really hurts because because mm. he knows too that they were playing exceptional rugby. You know, he's he's a good judge of, of how, you know, where the pitch is at, where, where they are as a team. And he must have known that they were playing really, really high-end um, rugby last season. Monster then, it's been... Uh... Interesting. Johan van Graan offered the extension, was getting huge criticism. I think a healthy section of onlookers didn't think he was the right man for the job, but he was offered the extension nonetheless. Then he turned around and rejected the extension and he went to bat. That left a sour taste in the mouth, I think, for people. Uh, Maybe the most damning, and it is a harsh way of putting it, but the most damning way of putting it, or damning aspect, is that uh, plenty of people have said since it's probably a blessing in disguise that things had to change at Munster and maybe they say is a big blessing. Uh, so your thoughts on that and then what we've seen from Rentree and Prendergast and Leamy, etc. Well, first of all, I do think it's a, it's a blessing. I do because it was a five seasons and, okay, I think you have to put into context the quality of, you know, the, the rugby aligned with, you know, the individuals, and we come back to that again. This is not the strongest monster squad that we've ever seen, not by a long way. So I think we all, oh, you always have to roll back to that fact that this is not the same monster team that the re- reputation has been built on. Even before they were winning trophies, where they're consistently in quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, losing them, like that was still a very consistently strong team, good, really good individuals, good combinations, very clear understanding of how they wanted to play the game. I don't think there was a huge amount of that under Van Graan across the board. Granted, a few times they came up against Leinster teams in semi-finals in the URC, um, where you know they came up against a great side, and so maybe it made them look you know more average than they were. Mm. But I, I never, I never felt convinced by the rugby. I never had a really clear understanding as to what they were trying to achieve. And yet, in and in Europe, you know, they they never really, um, they never really got got firing on them. They got to a couple of, they got to a couple of semi-finals, but then really put to the sword. I think it was Saracens um, and Racing. Uh, from memory, but yeah. there were it wasn't even close in either semi-final. Like it was real, it was men and boys at that stage. I guess that was more, you know, credit that you're still if you're getting to a semi-final, you got to be an okay team. But I think that was a lot of mentality ro- rather than quality. Um, and and so I think it's a kick in the teeth, you know, the fact that you know he, he was offered the extension and then he still turned it down, and it was like the yeah we, the kin to what was it, you know the. 
who broke up with who, you know, the girlfriend boyfriend scenario. Um, when, when someone breaks up with you and you think you're actually better than them anyway. Um, and, and so, um, I think it's good. It's good move in the long term that they, that they didn't stay as was and that there is fresh blood came in and I don't know, was Graham Roundtree their first choice or, you know, were there other people that they had earmarked? Not, I, 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 I don't think it would be fair to kind of, suggests that he, he he was down the pecking order. However, it's his first role, big learning curve, new attack coach coming coming in, Dennis Leamy coming from Leinster, bringing some of that IP. I said it at the start of the season, I think this is going to be uh, you know, a two or three year process to get back to a place where they'll be competitive. But they're still going to be a little bit off unless they have a real influx of, of real quality consistently coming through. They have some great players coming through, Crowley and the and the Hearn and the Coombs boys, and they're nice players. But this is going to take a period of time, irrespective of who the coach is, Graham Rowntree or otherwise. So that that's where the Munster faithful will be frustrated: is that they'll want immediate results and they're not going to get them. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned the Munster faithful, even with the significant wobble at the start of this season they seem more committed and more invested again than they were when things maybe on the face of it were going better or okay under Van, Van Graan. I think they're smart enough about their rugby to know that what they're seeing is, is headed in a, towards a higher ceiling perhaps. Yeah, I agreed. I think, I think they felt as though, you know, the prerequisite for being a Munster player is that, you know, that fighting spirit and, and, you know, against the odds, just even when you're not at it, to be able to leave everything there. And I think a few times under Van Graan last season, they felt that there was a lack, that the, the, the spine went missing a little bit in, in what they do, which is not in their in their fabric and in their DNA. And when you lose that, I think you lose faith in, you know, in the coaching ticket and, and what's being said. Whereas I think that's definitely at the core of what Roundtree offers, that he is... You know, as a player and as a coach, um, having been coached by him, he's passionate. He, you know, he's a he's a guy about the fight. You know, he's come from Leicester. That's what he was brought up on, and so it feels like he's part. He he fits into that monster DNA very well. And now it's just about scaling the other parts of the game, getting the defense right, and then building that attack shape thereafter. Yeah. That won't be an overnight fix. So I do feel as though, you know. Listen, I, I, time will tell whether he's he's got the ability to be a very good head coach or not. He's under pressure immediately because results go against him. And but yet, you know, the performance at the weekend it wasn't great to watch, but it was it was gutsy. Yeah. It had spirit in it. It had you know, never say die defense. It was like you know, hang on to the bitter end. That stuff is that when you've got that as your fabric again. The other stuff is easier to build. It's when that goes missing, I think you start going, "Oh gosh, we really are up against it." So, but it will take time. All the all the playmaking stuff, all the shape stuff, the you know the repetitions of training, the comfort of changing guys' techniques, um, you know, trying to get those the guys with the ability to be able to carry the ball the same way, whether they're carrying, popping it inside, popping it outside, pulling out the back. That that's just a repetition piece. And I do think that Leinster are particularly good at it because they've been doing it for four or five years. Um, so, yeah, I I think it's slowly beginning to come for Munster, but a bit to go, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, the curious case of Ulster then, they bowed out at European level against Toulouse last year in the knockout stages with big regrets. That could have gone another way. And similarly, against the Stormers in the URC semi-final, that could have gone another way. Heading into this season, there was a sense that McFarland and this team have improved together year on year. The early stages of the URC, they looked poised to have a decent run again in Europe and do something in the URC once again. And from uh, the halftime whistle at the RDS, their season has like blown up in the most spectacular fashion. And I, I, they're desperately hoping that they can still... Um, uh, make it to the knockout stages of Europe and it won't be uh, a, a fatal couple of weeks. Is this just weird wobble, lots of mitigation around the sale performance and uh, a, a degree of weirdness about first half against La Rochelle? Or is there something lurking here that's a bit more worrying? 
it's uh, a great question, Joe. I, I I genuinely don't know what the answer to that is. To be honest with you, like I I was I was slowly getting more and more impressed, and I and I do think that the expectation of of the Ulster supporters is higher than where the the team is at at the moment. Right? They think they're capable of you know competing at a very high level at Europe and and you know winning a URC. The thing is, they could win a URC. They are. If they, you know, if you're getting to a semi-final and you're pushing teams close, that you can win it. But I think there's been a few factors that have, have gone against. So I think that that defeat to Leinster absolutely knocked them for six, and they're down a man and you know, whatever, seventeen or eighteen points up. Um, and then to be blown away in the second half, I think that really kind of softened their cough. Um, I think they they were they kind of thought, wow! I thought we were really on a positive trajectory, and yet you've almost been humbled by fourteen men. Mm. Um, and then I do think there's been you know additional factors where they've had some injuries. They you know had a few guys that went missing in that in that sale game, um, and all of a sudden you're compound one really bad performance with a second one, and confidence levels that were beginning to build have shrunk significantly. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, La Rochelle last week goes against you, you know, playing up in in uh, Kingspan in Belfast. You've got to come down to, to the Aviva Stadium. La Rochelle are allowed to get some fans in. We're not. You feel a bit disgruntled. And then all of a sudden you play against the European champions and they blow you away in the first half. Physically, it looked like men and boys. So for me, that was the most worrying part. It was like, they just look so off the pace from a physicality point of view. And I think there were two factors in the second half them coming back. I think it was Larochelle taking the foot off the gas because the game was done at 29-0. Um, and then um, and then Ulster upping their game. Well, whatever was said at halftime, whatever Ian Henderson, you know, what, what choice words he had, it was it must have been around the Kieran Fitzgerald, where's your effing pride, lads? Because that's what it was about. And they got some back and they got two losing bonus points. But... Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what comes of this Ulster team now because they they flatter to deceive. That's that's where they've been at for the last couple of seasons. But yet, it does feel like they're actually going in the right direction. That Dan McFarland, you know, has them playing with a confidence, um, you know, playing with a bit of swagger, and you know, very difficult to beat at home. But yet. You know, when you when you look at you know going on the road to down in the RDS, down over to over to Sale to the AJ Bell, like and you get you get walloped, that is going to really that's going to knock the stuffing out of you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's where they're at at the moment. And what happens next over the next few weeks will be massive from a confidence point of view as to where the rest of their season does go. It's going to be interesting. For uh, Connacht then, the changes in format of the URC mean that qualification for Europe now is a much tougher ask. So that's um, unfortunate, I would think, and, and, and does affect the vibe. And then Andy Friend's departure, his imminent departure, uh, that that can't but just hang over an organisation. It's hard to think of any example where coaches out the door at the end of a season and new levels are reached and great things happen. It's just a transitional period, which is never a great word. Yeah. Did um, when they won the when they won the Pro Twelve or fourteen or whatever it was in two thousand sixteen was Pat Lamb not leaving that year? Oh, it's a good question. If he is, then you've completely cut the legs under from under my question beautifully. So <laughs> <laughs> nicely sorry, done. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like the the like the thing is, I, I suppose if you look at it, um, the concern also is whatever about this season is then, you, you know, Andy Friend, he would have been one that they would have, I, I would imagine, would have wanted to sign up again. He's decided to move on to pastures new. That might have, that takes a, that's a bit of a body blow because felt as though you're going in the right direction with him. Someone else comes in unless it's someone within the environment and you. And you you build on the foundations of what he's done the last couple of seasons, which is definitely a progression. Um, By and, the way, Pat, then, Pat Lamb left the year after 2017, oh, when when all went to hell, all went well, to bloody hell under Lamb's last year, obviously. <laughs> um, but that's because they were partying for the year, wasn't well, it? Fair enough. Um, but they, but yeah, I think that the the concerns around who comes in and then I do you go do you go down a couple of rungs in the ladder or do you? Um, or do you immediately, um, you know, pick up where you left off? It that's unlikely. That you know, it's so that's a bit of a worry. And um, but yes, they're they're capable of big victories. It's just 
like like the way it's been for a, for a long time certainly as long as I've known Connacht rugby is the strength and depth and the ability of being consistent performers other than that 2016 year which which is a bit of an anomaly obviously they've qualified for other European um, Champions Cup years but um, but you know it, it's it's always been a concern and an issue is that the the you know, second and third choice players in, in multiple positions just don't match up at the highest level. Mm. And and in the bigger URC games, let alone European games, I don't see how that's going to change anytime soon. Let's, uh, before the clock really comes against us, let's talk international level then. Ireland, I mean, when you stop and reflect on it from this vantage point, as opposed to on that night in Paris when they lost in the Six Nations... From this vantage point, they were a, a win in Paris away from this being the greatest year in Irish rugby history, and and pretty much outside of a World Cup year, uh, like perfection really. Uh, aside from winning every single game, uh, winning series in New Zealand, it would have been a Grand Slam. The November series was the November series South Africa and Australia, uh, so it was kind of as good as it gets realistically. So here's the point, Joe, around that trophy being all important, because if you look at the performance against France, it was still very, very high caliber. It was still so gutsy. There was no capitulation when France got ahead. They were back in it, got fought back to, you know, within a score and against a really great French team. And yet, oh, you know, that's my resounding memory from the game is like, wow, that wasn't a, that wasn't a beating. That was, they, we had them scared. Right. Granted, they went to win, go on and win the Grand Slam, and we, um, you know, and we finished second. But then, you know, the the stepping stones that that did on top of what happened last year after the England game, final game, of the Six Nations summer tour, and into um, into you know the November internationals, you know, really big victories in those. And then all of a sudden, you go to New Zealand, where you lose a se- the first game and you win the series, um, and now. I, the, the landscape changes from whatever about internally. I'm sure that was a huge boost. I think externally, the respect for Ireland was real. I think it was people in certain factions of the country, of the globe. Some would have said, "Oh yeah, no, Ireland, a great team. You know, respect them." But really, respect at the core, I'm not sure. Now, I genuinely think Ireland had the attention of everyone. So you don't feel that. In South Africa, or or maybe in New Zealand to an extent, or or France, you don't think there's a, a a quiet whisper of well, New Zealand were at a very very low ebb. Let's not worry too much about that. No, I, I don't. Well, I I don't. I don't. Okay. I I think because lots of other teams have gone. Well, I know that this is perhaps not the world's greatest New Zealand team, and I, I that, I'm not. That's separate to you know. Um, the, the incredible feat of of going there and winning because lots of teams have gone down against maybe not the best New Zealand teams in New Zealand and come off lucky to come off second best in a two horse race. Yeah, fair. So, um, so I think any anyone that has toured down to New Zealand, even uh, the, not the strongest New Zealand team, is still incredibly strong in New Zealand. They just play a different brand down there than they do. World Cups or anywhere else, it's it's so hard and physical. It's like it feels like a different game at times down there. And so anyone that has experienced that has a, pure, a full appreciation for what that Ireland team did, and all the more so because they won, they lost the first test, mm. and then to go and win two and three. And the most important thing is the manner in which they won the third test and the first half performance and the quality. And then when George Bridge scored, not. Um, the winger, um, his name escaped me, um, scored, you know, almost the length of the field try and all of a sudden they're back into, um, back into, you know, one score game and then we get back and Rod Herring scores that line out drive. Like that stuff is all important because that's not physical, that's bottle. That's mental and and a willingness and and a belief in what you're doing and a comfort that you don't have the fear that was carried pre- by previous teams, and yeah. I ch- genuinely believe that about this side that there's there's significantly 
uh, less fear factor amongst the vast squad. There was always certain people that really genuinely believed that they were going to beat New Zealand and, and had a great chance down there in, in some games, but it didn't permeate throughout the whole squad. There was definitely guys that just thought, oh, we're, we're never going to win down here. And and you are, you know, we're held back by you know, the weakest link in that regard. Mm. And and I really feel as though now, having beaten New Zealand a few times in Soldier Field and, and in Ireland a couple of times, to then go and do it, to back, you know, to, to go in not having that fear factor, irrespective of where you're playing them, is all important. And, and that's why... You know, I think we're getting a little bit giddy about the prospect of 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 next year. If it is if it is the All Blacks in a in a quarter final, well, they'll be worried about us too. Mm. Yeah, which is a massive change. Will Jordan yeah. was it? Will Jordan? Will yeah, Jordan? Yeah, yeah. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, clock. There's too much against us to go in in too much depth uh, on these teams. But if we're if we're picking other teams ahead of the World Cup, uh, give us a quick word on France, South Africa, and then what New Zealand are going to pitch up. Uh, next year I mean it's funny uh, much of this year was about Foster losing his job and then Boyd by Joe Schmidt and uh, New Zealand being New Zealand they end up winning the rugby championship you know it's even when they're yeah. at a low ebb they win the rugby championship yeah. uh, those three feel like the three we're all looking at for next year yeah South Africa really really tough to to beat in in World Cup rugby That's it's kind of World Cup winning rugby that they play really big hard physical really good set piece defensively very strong good goal kicker when Pollard is yeah. is playing, and um, so all those factors, you know, and then you've got X factor of Colby or Aronsa or Mapimpi, you've got those guys littered amongst them as well. So sorry to interrupt. Would you think Erasmus, when he's not tweeting and when he's quietly reflecting on the year, is thinking to himself, "We've got a goal kicker. We'll beat Ireland. That's fine. I've I've boxed yeah, that away mentally." I think, he, I think he still does. I think he does. I think he still thinks. When I get, you know, when I get my full team back, yeah. um, when I've got, a, you know, full deck to choose from, Ireland won't physically be able to live with us. He's, I still he's think pro- that he's he probably that. he's probably right. Like, I mean, if you're the neutral, would probably agree with him. No, neutral would probably agree with him. I think we learned a lot about ourselves in the game, though the physical nature of that one in in November that they threw everything at us and that we had. You know, we had the the answers of them physically. It's mm. not that that was a. It doesn't mean you're going to do it every time, but I think there was a really that muscle memory part is really important for next year's World Cup. Going, right. we were able to chop them. We were able to double team. We were able to identify when they were trying to ball play or when they were coming around the corner at us. And there's no like the South African game plan has never changed. It's it's the it's always been that attritional game, that confrontational game. And I don't know if they'll ever go away from it because they've had huge success with it. Um, but then you do throw in, like I said, some of those X-Factor players and you think about the World Cup final. That was one on pure physicality on a scrum, on beating up, you know, Billy Vanapola, beating up the front row. And then all we can remember, remember is Ches and Colby's one-on-one against Owen Farrell and Mapimpi and Lucania Am with their little interplay over a chip kick. Like, they're the two shining lights. But ultimately, that was one born out of pure physicality that, that they won that um, that final and, that, and won that tournament. Um, so I do think, you know, they they pose... For me, I think South Africa posed the greatest threat. Um, and then France, you know, closely followed, follow them. Um, but I do feel as though there's going to be an insane amount of pressure on this French team as well. And I'm intrigued to see how they deal with it. Mm. But yet, right across the board, with Sean Edwards, I think that has just been a brilliant signing. Yeah. An absolutely brilliant signing. Um, that To have someone that's going to give you the confidence and excitement to, on the defensive side of the game. We know what they're capable of doing in, in attack with some of their ball players. So what what can they do defensively? Can they stop? other sides and, and they're, they're really beginning to do that and, and shine uh, and they look fitter and they look fitter up. so um, those two together New Zealand and ourselves then I think in the same conversation okay. um, as kind of joint third favourites behind the, the other two um, and, and New Zealand will be very good by the time we come to the World Cup Just you know Schmidt, very Schmidt well there, drilled no way yeah, won't be. yeah another yeah. year long time and yeah I you know if he has more of an impact on us just you know, we saw a little bit of stuff around the launch, their launch play, even though they they kind of gave up a big score against England. You know, some of the 
some of their quality of passing and and clinical nature is still is still very very impressive okay. so they will they will be yeah they will be a very very tough beat in in the world cup whoever comes across them yeah. um it's, so it's yeah all, it's, so it's, it's, it's wonderfully open you'd have to say like it's going to be such an it exciting is, it is. Uh, build up because too many I world think, cups the build up was will new zealand win or won't they and it's not that conversation it's a really great world cup yeah. to, to look forward yeah. to it's uh, mad to think that new zealand could be could going into it and that's right now maybe it'll be changed but going in as third favorites you know yeah um, I don't know. Had they ever done that in the World Cup? I would say I no. I don't think so. It says something about the Irish year that I'm um, just in, in the interest of interesting conversation. I'm like picking holes in their series win in New Zealand. Was it that good? You know, that's the level that they've managed to play at this year, which is kind of ridiculous, really. Um, one last one on the international sphere. Uh, Gatlin and Wales is obviously kind of intriguing. Could England be dark horses here under Borthwick? Is he? I mean, because he, he yeah. might have enough time to put together a fairly um, sturdy, maybe um, unglamorous and 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 lacking in 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 kind of um, charisma type rugby. But it could be very effective tournament rugby. Did you say World Cup winning rugby. I mean, like it'd like make you stop and think. It's it's the, probably the right appointment if you're try if you've got nine months to just get a team tournament ready. I know I know they hadn't they planned to give he has a five year deal, but it, mm. if if he was a a Pat Lamb type who was going to play very expressive rugby, you might think well nine mm. months with with Agreed. seven or eight games is too tight. But but like stick on Farrell back at ten, let's play test match animals all over the place. Like they have the they have the base. And they've got the players; they just have to pick them on form. You know, I've been watching a lot of their Premiership, and um, and it's a really good product. So, how is that not being? Um, you know, how how is the quality of of those players playing for club not being captured and put into an England jersey? So, this, there was something not right there. Eddie Jones also was in the Guardian saying that we were on track to um, to win the World Cup. So Steve Forthwick inherits that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're welcome, Steve. Don't mess it up, Steve. Big work here. Yeah. Um. So, like, I, I do think that England will be competitive, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt they will be. Um. You know they will be again set piece really good. What well, they're good at set piece really good. Very physical. You know, kick their goals. Um. And again, a bit like South Africa, you know, really great X factor in Anthony Watson, who's been out for ages, Elliot Daly back in really good form, Johnny May when he's going well. Like these are really good finishers. Um, Jack Nell, these guys are very, very good players, lots of them British and Irish Lions. So, um, and then you put in, I do anticipate that Owen Farrell will be back at 10. So is this because like, is, is Smith, is there a degree of, well, that style of rugby is great at the Premiership, but when you step up to test, <laughs> test level, that's just doesn't cut it. Is that it? Yeah, there is. I, test rugby is totally different, and loose and fast, you know, suits certain scenarios, but not lots. Certainly not lots of Six Nations, and and he maybe he's the perfect bench player to come on and 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 you know chase a game. Um, but you know, if you look back at and, and maybe he wasn't allowed to play the game he wanted to play under Eddie Jones, but. Just watching some of his kicking against South Africa in the first 20, 25 minutes, it was awful. It was really awful. And, and your kick game is massively important at international rugby. People won't want to hear that. And people will think, well, Ireland are, are managing to you know, play with the ball you know, an awful lot and play attractive stuff. They kick the ball a lot too. Leinster kick the ball an awful lot as well. It's just they kick it very well. They kick it when they want to kick it and kick it with effect rather than kicking it aimlessly. So you don't know, your your eye sometimes tricks you into what you've seen because you see these ball players. But actually, you know, what was I was doing, Rassing and Leinster, and both of them were, were kicked the ball the most in the top 14 and the URC. So, and yet they're the two most attractive teams yeah. to probably watch. So, um but kick kick game is enormous in in test rugby around okay. uh, putting it in the right spaces around taking advantage of grass or lack of grass cover of um of getting set piece because set pieces is, is so huge you know to certain certain teams and if england can get their line out and scrum functioning again and really good and get a good defense you look at the quality of their players they will be very competitive okay and are we do would you be worried about wales not especially um, not as uh, a bit more worried now under Gatlin than I would be. I just think there's so much ground to catch up on. Yeah, I do, okay. and I don't think that they have the personnel 
that they had under Gats first time round. I just don't see that quality of individual coming through. Granted, you wouldn't have necessarily said Jonathan Davis and Warburton and all those were going to, from, from the first few viewings, they were going to be, you know, the players that they t- turned out to be. They don't always get that right, but it's, I think it's just more challenging to see that next crop of players that are breaking onto the into the Welsh setup at the moment being, you know, 80, 90, 100 cap players that will win multiple trophies. I just find that a difficult leap to, to make right now. But Gats will get them in a much more secure, much harder to beat mentality, work, working hard for one another. And, and, you know, with a chip on their shoulder, I think the best Welsh teams are with a chip on their shoulder and he will definitely bring that out. OK, final few points. It's impossible to review a year um in, in the appropriate depth we're completely ignoring the fact Irish coach who was a legendary player won a Heineken Cup with uh, La Rochelle um, on the Premiership just a word on this because you're over with BT quite a bit and you're you're talking to people who have, I'm sure would have a knowledge of the English game uh, Worcester and Wasps going to the wall extraordinary and there were mistakes made there which were specific to those clubs for sure and Covid exacerbated things for sure the general financial health of the game over there. Are you are you hearing worries from people, or that there are yeah, nervous? Yeah, are they? Yeah, I think there's yeah, there's nerves. Yeah, yeah, I think there's there's another couple of clubs that are, by all accounts, are are yeah, not teetering, but are you know definitely have real financial issues, uh, financial concerns, and so what what comes out whether it's this season or next season, um, you know, I, I don't know whether. In time, will the Premiership potentially be reduced to you know ten teams? Will it be ring fenced to give commercial certainty to these sides and mm. to, for them to not concern themselves with relegation, promotion, and whatnot? Um, so I think there's lots of moving parts at the moment. You're hearing lots of conversations behind the scenes, um, but it's hard to know exactly what to what to believe. But there, there's no doubt that you know that the Worcester and Wasps weren't the only two. They weren't the outliers in all of this. There's there's plenty of clubs that are financially, you know, struggling and and and, and incapable of holding on to some of their best players. You look at the likes of Exeter at the moment, you know, there's a few of their homegrown talent now are moving on to 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 for bigger uh, paydays overseas after the World Cup um because you know, within the um, the salary cap, they just can't hold on to that quality, and it's almost you get you get penalised for being very successful in that environment where you bring them through academy players and turn them into terrific internationals, and then all of a sudden their expectations rise. Even this year, you know, Johnny Hill, uh, your man of Flaherty, both of them went to you know for bigger money in in sale. So um, it's yeah, it's it's a big challenge. Um, over there, um, let alone, you know, rugby's still a very, very small sport in the bigger context of world sports. It really is. You yeah. know, you, you feel so insignificant when you see the volume of what's transpired over over the last month or five weeks in, in the Football World Cup. You really do. Yeah. But yes, you know, I think th- there's way more focus being given to the fact that, you know, financial um, certainty is, is all important for safeguarding the game, safeguarding these clubs. Or just get Bruce Craig in at Bath. Uh, Finn yeah, Russell, quid. Yeah. a million quid a year. Uh, Sterling, the reports. Sterling's uh, not as strong these days, though, Joe. Okay, so he'll have to convert he'll, to, he'll to struggle Euros. on. Uh, Finn yeah. said, now is the right time for a new challenge. I bloody bet it is. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh, so a million. Uh, Van Gran and Finn Russell. I look forward to watching that mixture. That doesn't... Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> That's a, that, has a, that has a bang of, of Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend. Ah, <laughs> I mean, he thinks he doesn't like Gregor. This is going to be unbelievable. Um, to wrap up, because I've, I've gone way over time. I haven't got to everything I wanted to. I think we should We've know... We've given people the pod that they were after for the escapism, right? Well, it's true. It's true. It's true. Someone's uh, <laughs> someone's annoying uncle has just opened a bottle of wine in the next room and they need another 20 minutes in here. Um, this is the year that we will... Uh, certainly in this country, hopefully kind of class as the beginning of things really taken off for Irish women's rugby at international level in particular. I know you were at the RDS for that first game against Wales in the Six Nations, which had a great crowd. Nicer time of the year weather-wise, a standalone um, tournament now. All these games are on national television. 
And that day, Wales, who had just turned professional, came and won in Dublin. And Ireland narrowly avoided the wooden spoon. So mm. this year, we've had New Zealand turn professional and, and like what an amazing World Cup final we saw as well. We've had Ireland go. Uh, Wales went early, Scotland heading that way. England and France way ahead in Six Nations terms. But uh, with the Six Nations now around the corner, uh, this has uh, 2022 really is the year that, you know, akin to 95 almost, will say, well, that yeah. is when professionalism started I mean, and, and it's unfolded before our eyes in pretty quick time, you know, as 12 months go. It's it's the beginning of, of yeah. something. We don't know how long it will take to get to where you ultimately want to end up. I suppose you, you can't worry about that now. You, you've got to start somewhere and, and try a, a path and that's begun. You've got professionalism, you know, it, at the moment, the, the the contracts that are are you know, being given out are only going to be attractive to certain age demographics, people in certain circumstances, um, you know. But it's a brilliant starting point where we can try get closer to a level playing field against these other Six Nations teams. We've seen what France and England have been capable of doing for the last number of years um, in Six Nations and now in the, more, more recently in the World Cup as well down in New Zealand. So, And that's, um, a, that's a great product, the, the level that New Zealand, England, France produce and when they play each other in particular, it's a great product. It, it, it really is. And I think that's where, you know, at the moment, you know, if, if you're honest with the Women's World Cup, you know, the... The quality of of kind of the early stages versus quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Like right now, the standard at semifinals, finals is very, very good. Mm. The next iteration, the next work on is to bring it back to, you know, high level quarterfinals. And actually, the 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 difference in score lines is not is not crazily different than the men's in quarterfinals in World Cup. So maybe we've a bit of a, a skewed version of of how things are actually working out that it is it is you know being brought back the 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 closeness of those contests is being reduced mm-hmm. um is and um and and so which is all important the last thing you want is cricket scores in in quarterfinals um so but that's all about investment and development of the game and and finally that's happening in kind of multiple countries and the more it happens across the board. You know, the more competitive the global competition or the, the four yearly competition is going to is going to be. And also, you've got um, WX15, which is another world competition that's being developed. You've got you know structural um, changes happening here in Ireland. Um, you know, you've got a new Premier League in the UK as well. All of these things, the, the structure of all of these competitions and the setups is all important to actually being able to build on top of it. These are foundation pieces. We had that foundation built in 96 uh, and we've layered on top of it and look at the success from a men's point of view. Well, something similar has to be done from the women's game, not just in Ireland, but right across the globe. Our uh, rugby coverage with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, team of us, everyone in. Uh, Brian, we've taken a stab at trying to pick our way through 2022. Thanks so much. Have a great Christmas. Pleasure. Yes, you too. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.